Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. services, or connect with us on Facebook. Thanks so much again for joining us. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to take a look tonight. And uh, we are, uh, we're continuing in this series called This Is Next. And just encourage you, if you can, to take some notes, follow along. If you've not gotten one of the uh, journals, I know there's nothing impressive. They're just composition notebooks that uh, we made available, slapped the next sticker on it and said, come on, let's journey together and let's just let's write this down and uh, just believe God for what he wants to do greater, bigger, and next in our lives. We believe that God is a God of order. He orders the steps of the righteous. And because he orders our steps, we can believe that he's got something next in store for us, that the best is still ahead of us. Do you believe that tonight? Come on, just tell someone beside you today, there's still more in front of you. Tell them today, there's more in front of you. Your best is still in front of you, that God has more in store for our lives. In Matthew chapter 6, would you stand with me tonight as we look at this word? And my, my goal this evening is to challenge the capacity of our thinking, that we would become people who would believe God maybe again or the first time, for what it is that he wants to do next, and uh, challenging us in our thinking. Uh, it's, it's crucial that we have the right way of thinking, and uh, that's what I want to look at tonight. Matthew chapter 6, this is following the verse, I'm going to start in verse 25. Uh, you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible or device if you have it. Uh, Jesus has just made the comment, you cannot serve God and money. You can't serve two masters. you got to pick one. You only get one. Then he goes on to verse 25. He says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Isn't life more? Isn't your life more? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in the barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? You ever been there? How many feel challenged tonight already? I know just this part of why in, in our response sometimes, having so little faith and being able to trust God and believe him. Verse 31, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, or seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added Unto you, I want to share tonight, just in this, this regard, I want to challenge us to be ready for the next big idea. Find the brightest person around you. Find the brightest person around you and ask them tonight, what's the big idea? Some of you are looking too hard to find the brightest person around you, but just find the brightest person. Just ask them tonight, what's the big idea? What's the big idea? That's the title I want to look from tonight. What's the big idea? God, I pray that you'd give us the big idea that you have for our lives for our future, help our mind to be at a place to, to be able to comprehend and to, to receive from you that, Lord, we might be set into action. God, I pray your blessing upon each of us as we look at your word together. We ask this in Jesus' name. If you agree with that tonight, would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. What's the big idea? 
before we can ever be at a place of being able to make the next step, it always begins in the idea. It always begins in the concept. And I want to challenge us or, or uh, talk tonight along this, this premise that it might be that we have allowed ourselves to be so, so busied or so overwhelmed by the little things of everyday life that it keeps us from being able to experience the next big idea that God has for us. It was February the 10th, 19, February the 10th, 2014, in the city of Houston. An eerie, dense fog had rolled into the city and had covered the entire downtown of Houston, Texas. And as people were coming into the city that day for work and for everything that would go on, they would be at least uh, even a mile outside the city and not be able to see the skyscrapers or to see the city itself because of the dense fog. It had had such an impact that it had slowed traffic down. No one was able to move. There was nothing happening in the city. The buildings that represented the potential of, of businesses taking place, of decisions being made, all that would go on, everything of the potential was right in front of them, but no No one could do anything because they were stuck in traffic and they had come to a standstill. It wasn't a tragic event. It wasn't something of great catastrophe. It was simply just weightless fog that had fallen on the city. Fog that if you touch it, it doesn't hurt you. Fog that when it touches the building, it doesn't destroy. But it just does enough to hinder our vision or the vision. And because the vision was impaired, there was no ability to move forward or make progress. It had shut down the mobility of that city and all the potential was around them, all because a fog had fallen over the city. I ask us in this, in this, uh, this, this time together as we're looking at this word, it, could it be that our lives have been so hindered and affected by the, by the fog of life that we've not been able to have a clear mind and a clear head to receive the next big idea that God has for us, that we've been so clouded by the everyday life and all the things. If you look at fog, it's not anything of great a great uh, a tragedy. It's not anything in itself that can harm you or hurt you. It's simply this water that is dispensed in such millions or, or thousands of molecules that is spread over a place that causes the vision to be hindered. Is it true that maybe our lives are so caught up in the mundane and the everyday of life that our vision has become, become impaired and because we don't have vision, we're not moving into the next that God has for us because we're stuck by the everyday. Jesus said these words in, in the first verse that we looked at. He says, do not worry about everyday life. What is your life? Isn't your life more than what you eat? Isn't it more? Isn't life more than these things? Don't worry about everyday life. We live in one of two spectrums. There's only two perspectives that we live from. We will either live from the everyday life or the kingdom life. We'll either live for ourselves or we'll live for God. You can't live for other people because even if you're living for other people, it's only to please yourself. You either, either live to please yourself, live for yourself, or you live for God. Here's the problem, though, or here's the truth, that whatever you live for will determine what you depend on. If you live for yourself, then you're going to depend on yourself to make it and to have all the resources and have everything carried out in your life. If we live for God, then we're depending on him. I'm, a, of course, a dad, and never once have I had kids come to my home or my kids come home and wonder if there would be milk in the refrigerator. There's a confidence because they never worry whether there'll be milk. They have a confidence that there's a dad, a provider, someone who is greater than them or over them who's going to provide for them. What a blessing it is that when you can live in a place and not have to worry about your needs being met, but know that there's a provider and one who's able to take care of you. In the context of our life, do we know that we live for a God or 
or in the, in the provision of God that he will meet our needs. But if you live for yourself, then how many know you have to depend on yourself to meet all of your needs? And how many recognize that's a burden and a weight and a worry to have to carry? When it becomes up to you to produce, when it becomes up to us, and oftentimes God has given us the privilege to, to lay those cares down, to trust him. But why is it that our human nature decides to pick up what God says lay down? Why do we pick up the things God, why is it that we pick up what God says to lay down, but lay down the things he says to pick up? When he says lay down your worries, we tend to pick up the worries. When he says take up your cross, we'd rather lay it down. We're not, we're in this place of sometimes not sure that we can trust or fully rely on God. But when we're at a place of being able to trust him in our provision, that he will provide, that he'll take care of us, that he'll bring it through, that he'll work all things out in our lives. You see, there's this everyday worry, this everyday life that begins to overtake us. I think that sometimes we forget what God wants to do through us, that we just settle for making it through the next day. We just, we're just settled to get through another day. We're settling to just get through another moment rather than living for the next that God has for us. Do you know in this room, God has given each and every one of you the ability to be creative. Do you know how powerful your mind is? Your mind knows how to tell you great stories. Some of them aren't even true. Your mind knows how to create stories, how to create impressions. We can create things in our mind. And the ability that God has given us in our mind to create positive things, to create things of invention, of creativity, of, of entrepreneurship and ideas, that oftentimes instead of creating the things that God has designed for us, we become bogged down with the everyday worry. And instead of being clear-headed and sober-minded and a clear place to receive the great idea from God, we just get caught living in the fog. Have you ever been there? Have you ever lived where your mind feels like it's in the fog? Where it feels like you're just clouded by everyday life and what's going on and it's hard to make sense of what's around you. You just feel like you're living in a fog and the fog causes you to slow down, causes you to be unproductive. Even when you do what you do, it doesn't feel like it accomplishes what you desire to accomplish. Why? Because we're living in the fog. Our vision is impaired. We're not able to see clearly. We're not able to, to see what it is that God would have for us. But I believe in this room, God wants to give you great ideas for breakthrough in your marriage, great ideas in your workplace, why not, if there's an answer, if there's, a, if there's a problem and an issue, how many believe that God in his supernatural power can give us the idea to be the answer and to bring a solution to problems that might exist in our home, our workplaces, our communities, and everywhere that we are, that God can use us to quicken in us the next great idea. Do you believe that? That God, why should not the greatest creativity come from the church? You see, you and I are created in body, soul, and spirit. We know what it is to be in the body. The body is what you can see, it's what you can feel. It's, it's your body, it's, it, it's what's all around you. You know what it's like, you, you can feel and recognize it. And then we are made up of the soul, and the soul is identified by our emotions. And our emotions also with how we think. There's a direct connection between your brain and how your emotions are. There's a, a direct connection to how you feel. Your body is your outward, uh, outward uh, uh, what you see, what you feel, what you touch. And the soul becomes just your, your emotions, the seed of your emotions. But then there's the spirit, that we consist of the spirit. The spirit is the part that God designed us with. He made us in his image. He put his spirit on the inside of us. And because his spirit is on the inside of us, what he wants to do, is for us to come in contact with him to have our spirit come to life to be resurrected in the power
power of God so that we can be quickened by the presence of God so that we can be people who live from the inside out rather than people who live from the outside in. How many know that superficial people live from the outside in? We're consumed and concerned by what's outside of us and what's outside of us directs what's on the inside. We, we consider what we see by how we feel and what we feel determines what goes on in our lives and we live too much from the outside in. But God has called us to be people who are come alive in his spirit and now we live from the inside out. I don't respond because there's fog around me or I don't live just because there's fog and I become slowed down because the fog and the things that are around me. But the spirit of God quickens on the inside of me and when he rises up in, within me, he is the one that makes it possible for the fog to be, ever, be able to lift. But too often we're living from the outside in rather than the inside out. I hope that makes sense to you tonight, that God wants his spirit to be on the inside of you. Because we're driven too much by what we feel, by what we see, by what we desire. It's called the flesh. If you know what the flesh is, the flesh is do what feels good now. That's the flesh. It's do what feels good now. We live by the flesh, but when we become people who live by the Spirit, we set ourselves aside, and instead of being clouded and overwhelmed by the fog of the, of the, the things and circumstances that are around us, we become clear-headed. Paul said these words to Timothy. He said in the last days, he said, as you go and you preach the gospel, Paul, of course, was admonishing Timothy as a, a young uh, mentee of his to, to go out and to preach the gospel. And what he had said to him, he said, was when you go, he said, be clear-minded. Be of a sober mind. You've known what it is. You know some people, or maybe you know by your own experience, that you don't make the best choices when you're not sober. If you're not sober, you don't make the best decisions. There's a reason why you're not supposed to get behind the wheel when you're under the influence. It impedes your vision. It impedes your ability. There's a fog that covers. And that's why Paul says to, to, to Timothy, be sober-minded. Not only be, be clean and not, not affected by alcohol and the substance of influence, but be careful in your mind to not be caught up in the everyday worries of life. In the everyday worries of what's going to take place, what it is that's going to affect us, and overwhelmed by the everyday circumstances in life, that we would be clear-headed. You see, there's a a need for us to be people who have a structured thought life. If you don't tell your thoughts where to go, your thoughts will tell you where to go. If you don't determine the thought life that you're going to have, if you don't have a structured thought life, then your thought life will not be able to handle the stress. How many know that in life there's stress? Raise your hand if you've ever been stressed. Oh, don't think you're holy if you don't raise your hand because you already failed that right now. You're a liar. So that really doesn't, doesn't line up and be holy. Every single one of us have life stress. Jesus didn't come to take stress away. Jesus came to strengthen us by his spirit on the inside so that stress would not overtake us. He made us able to stand up underneath the things and the, the situations. What it takes for us to stand is making sure we have a structure. If we are structured in our thought life, we'll be able to, to sustain and be able to stand under whatever the stress might be. But if you're not structured, how many know the stress will overwhelm you and overtake you? That's why they call it distress. That's why they call it being overwhelmed and a breakdown. That it'll overwhelm us if we don't get our thoughts in line. If you don't tell your thoughts where to go, your thoughts will tell you where to go. And too many times we let our thoughts direct our lives and our thoughts tell us what is true and what, what the direction is. But we need to have a grounded and a stable, structured 
thought life. I want to give you four things tonight that are key for us to understand whenever we look at life circumstances, to, to look in, in the place that we are, to really identify that when stress comes, when, when the fog begins to settle on us, that we allow the truth of God, who he is, to rise so that the fog doesn't overtake us and hold us hold us, uh, hold us in mobile, but that we're able to move in what God has. Let me give you number one. Number one is this, that if we're going to, to have this structured thought life, I want to encourage you with this. Maybe you write it down. Write it down in the notebook you just got or you've had for two weeks or write on the offering envelopes. If you don't put offering in that, put something valuable on it. Write a note and take it with you, and that will be valuable for you as well and something that you can take with you. Here's, here's number one. The God who gave you the greater can also give you the lesser. Write that down. That might not make sense right now, but let me explain it. This is for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. You see, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, and you might be here tonight, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, that's okay. We're glad you're here. This is not a place where you have to believe like us before you can become part of us, but there is a point that we hope the longer you're around here, you can't help but fall in love with the one who loves you more than anyone else will love you. His name is Jesus. And this whole reality that when we know the love of Christ, here's what we believe as Jesus followers. And if you're a Jesus follower, you believe this. And that is that Jesus loved us so much that he died on the cross to forgive us of our sins that we might have eternity with Jesus Christ. Come on, if you're a Jesus follower and you believe that and that's good news to you, why don't you just tell God thank you or put your hands together or make some noise or something. If you believe that is the good news of the gospel, we believe that. We believe that that's the good news. And here's what we, what we know then. That is the greatest need that we have. Jesus came to take away our sins to give us hope for eternity. What good is it if a man gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Jesus came to give us hope for eternity, which means he did the greatest thing that we ever needed in life. And if he did the greatest thing, that means we can trust him with the lesser things. There was a man that some friends brought to Jesus. He was on a mat, and they laid him before Jesus. And as he was before Jesus, Jesus says to the man, while he's still lame, laying on the mat. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. There were Pharisees or, or, or holy people in the room who believed that Jesus was, was blaspheming and, and just uh, really not uh, uh, from God and uh, from the devil, in fact. And they said to Jesus, they said, who do you think you are that you can forgive sins? And Jesus says, just so you know who I am, not only will I say your sins are forgiven, but then he says to the man, take up your mat and walk. He did for the man two things. One, he said, I'll, I'll do for you the eternal work and that is your sins are forgiven but you so that you can know who I am I'll even take care of your temporal need and that is get up and walk again if he is able to take care of our greater then how many know we ought to be able to trust him with our lesser here's the point I want you to hear tonight if you believe that Jesus saved you for eternity that he washed your sins away that he made you a new person that he died on the cross he took away your sins and he made you new if you believe he took care of your greater need then why can't we trust him for our lesser need if we believe he died on the cross and took away our sins then why is it hard to believe him to take care of our marriage, to take care of our, feel, of, our, of, our, of our tensions, our difficulties, our situations. If we can trust him with the greater, we can also trust him with the lesser. Can you say amen to that tonight? If we're gonna believe that he's the God who's able to do the supernatural and the greatest, then why is it so hard sometimes to trust that he knows how to work out this situation? And why is it in that moment, instead of allowing the fog of worry to settle in, we ought to cause the fog to just lift and go away and say, nope, I know God loves me. I know the cross is for me. I know he's a God who delivered me and if he took care of my sins and death and hell in the grave then I know he'll take care of my checkbook he'll take care of my children he'll take care of my finances he'll take care of my health I can trust him with this because he already took care of that I don't know about you but that's preaching tonight and that's some truth and I hope that gets in our heart because that changes our thought life 
when we set that thought in place, if I can trust God in the greater, then I know I can trust him in the lesser. Let me give you number two. Number two is this, of structured thinking that we need to carry. And that is, worry will tear you down, but worship builds you up. Notice Jesus says here, he says, who of you can add a single amount of time to your life by worrying? In fact, it's been proven by the medical world that worry and anxiety does not add to your life, it takes away from your life. You can go ahead and worry about what it is you're worried about. It's called a heart attack coming right behind you. See how well that works for you. You see, we take up our own ability in the own way because when we live for the self, then we rely on the self to take care of ourself. And that's a lot of weight. But when we live for the kingdom, we live for God, we can trust that he'll take care of us. Worship, of course, or worship is, is that when we honor and acknowledge God, but worry will tear down and take away. See, if you're the creator, the, the one who has created something, you know that your hands are meant to cause that thing you created to do what it was supposed to do. I was, this week, uh, showed up yesterday, and uh, I thought I'd wait a little bit to come into, into the church, because I thought if I'd wait, somebody would get here before me, and if somebody else got here first, then they would have to shovel, but I waited, but not long enough, because I was the first one, so I had to shovel to get in. I'm just kidding. I love to serve. It's not a problem. But as I was shoveling the, the sidewalk and, and uh, getting into the church yesterday, I went for the, the uh, bucket of salt, and I'm an observant person, and as I picked up the bucket of salt, I noticed on the side, and if you notice the bucket of salt, it gets all this, this film and all the stuff that's around it, and written on Sharpie, uh, written in Sharpie on this red bucket, it said, for cleaning only. And I thought, well, somebody repurposed this bucket. What it was originally meant for and set aside for was no longer what it was doing. I wonder if our lives might be a little clouded and foggy because the thing that God set us aside for, we're no longer doing. We're caught up in doing other things, and now our life is so filled by doing other stuff that we're not doing what God created us to do in the first place. That God created what you were created to do. Every single one of us here were created to know God, to be in relationship with God, to worship with God. You see, when we worship Work is always involved, but you'll either live your life worrying or worshiping. And whatever it is, it's going to involve work. But when I do work, what we tend to do sometimes is that we work hard to take care of our worry. We just pick up more, more hours, do more things, do work ourselves, work ourselves, work ourselves. Why? Because we're worried we won't have enough. We're worried, we're worried, we're worried. And we just work, we work, we work because we're worried. It sounds good that we work so hard, but it doesn't produce anything when all you're doing is working because you're worried. But it makes a whole difference whenever we're working because it's an attitude of worship. This February, we're going to have a weekend or a, a, a one-day event called Work is Worship. And the whole idea of that is challenging us in our work field, no matter what we do, to catch that our work and our, and our work environment is our worship before God. Do you know that your worship is more than just coming to church and singing and even putting offering in? All of that is part of that. All of those things, honoring God with our tithes and coming to a place of worship, singing songs before God, reading the scriptures, all of those things are necessary and prudent to our lives as worshipers. But how we live out in the workplace, God designed you for that job. He designed you for that place. That's why I pray. I, of course, was talking with Jimmy. He's looking for, a, for a, a job opportunity, praying that God will give that opportunity. But I said to him, more than just praying that job works out, I pray God leads you to the job that he has for you, that he orders your steps and puts you in a place of provision, that he directs us. Because when we put our trust in God, we know that he will take care and provide and bring us to the place that we need to be. And when we catch that our worship and what we do, that we work as unto God, it becomes productive have you ever given a lot of energy but you love so much what you're doing that even though you put out a lot of energy you got a lot back in return 
You ever found that out? If there's something, I've, I've been on mission trips before, and you stay, get up early in the morning, you go and serve, and you come back. And I remember in the Philippines one time, as we were just spending a, a whole lot of time, a lot of traveling, a lot of places that we were visiting and, and going to different areas and sharing the gospel. And I remember one place in particular in, in the Philippines and uh, one of the villages, we had preached on the fisher's uh, uh, wharf there where they had just gotten done fishing and uh, it was just our prime opportunity to share the gospel. We had had a long day and we waited to the end of the day because we waited till the fishermen were done and they were at the end before they were coming out. We began to share the gospel. The day was long. I was tired. All was taking place but we shared the gospel along this shore in the Philippines and these men and their families were coming to relationship with Jesus Christ. When I I watched the fruit of what was happening. You better believe this tired, long day. It's, it's hot and all that was taking place. When we were done, I wasn't tired anymore. There was an energy that was supernatural. Why? Because the energy I was putting out became altogether matched and doubled and returned by God who gave a joy and a source of strength. When you're doing what God has designed you to do, there becomes a strength and not a depletion. You believe that? Okay, no, maybe not. That's all right. I know some of you might be new here and we say, and so we actually encourage talking back during the church service. Unless it's one an argument, then we'll save that for later. We can do that later. And if, uh, if you disagree with something, we'll take care of that later. It uh, would be uh, more ideal. But usually things like amen or uh, that was good or I'll take you out for dinner later, something like that is always, always encouraging. Let me give you number three. Number three is, is this, not only does worry tear down, but number three, God knows what you don't know. Now, this sounds so simple. Do you know how important it is to catch this truth that God knows what you don't know? He says that these things that we worry about, raise your hand if you've ever gotten caught up worrying about everyday life. Raise your hand if you've ever lost sleep about everyday living and everyday life. Yeah, you're in a good place because we've all been there. Jesus says people who are, who, are, uh, who are overtaken by these thoughts, uh, they are unbelievers. The people who are overtaken by these thoughts are the thoughts of unbelievers. But, and how many know that when it's the but in there is a contrast? And here's what he says. You don't have to be overtaken by those thoughts. And in fact, it's in verse 23. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows what you need. What he's saying here is you don't have to give in to, the, to being dominated by the thoughts like the unbelievers. Because you just need to know this. And this is structured thinking. You have to have a structured way of thinking. Is that God already knows what you need. I've gone to places around Fayette County, and I've seen a lot of Fayette County. There's more I want to see. And there are times I'll go with people to different parts of Fayette County, and they will get in, I'll get in their vehicle, and we'll begin to drive. And I know where we're going, but I wonder if they know where we're going. Because I know where we're going, and where we're going, you're supposed to go this way. But all of a sudden, they're taking back roads, and I'm going places I've never been before. And I'm seeing parts of Fayette County I've never seen before. To which I'll thank God. I hope these are friends of mine, because they're taking me to the backwoods and do away with me. They're done. I mean, they win. I have no idea where we are. I'm left all alone. And this thought of where in the world are we? And then finally we end up on a road that I recognize. And my reality is this. I never knew that got you this way. 
I never knew it would go this way. I never knew it made this connection. I never knew you could get here. And then I would say out loud, I had no idea. I didn't know where we were, but now I know where we were. I had no idea this connected here. And they would usually say something in return like this, oh yeah, I grew up here, or this was a friend of mine. I used to come and visit, which means this, the person I was riding with was a person who had already been where I'm going. Do you know that there's a God who has already been where you're going? He knows the way like the back of his hand. He's already been at the places he wants to take you in the places that you need to go and you might be going along and saying, God, it didn't look like this. I don't see this. It's not sure. I don't, I'm familiar with this. I don't think this is the way it's supposed to go. But when you know you're with the one who knows what you don't know, you can sit there and he brings you at the end and you're saying, man, I had no idea it would take me here. I had no idea it connected here. I had no idea it would bring me to this point. And he says, yeah, I've been here already. I've been where you're going. How many know it's good to follow the God who's already been where you're going? He knows what your future looks like. He knows what your job, what your marriage, what your hope, what your health, what your finance. He already knows. I'm thankful tonight that I serve a God who's already been to the place I desire and the place that he has for me. Aren't you thankful that God knows what you don't know? That's good news. To know that there's a God who's already been to the place that we need to go. He knows how to get there. And if I can let that get into my head, how many know that would cause some fog of worry to be lifted in my life? When I'd be able to settle and say, man, I don't, I'm not familiar with this route. I've never been this way before. I'm not sure this is going to turn out right. But I know that my God knows how to make it connect from here. That my God knows how to, because he's already been where I'm going. God already knows. He's already put that in place. Let me give you number four. Worship team's going to come. And if you're still mourning over the Steelers' loss, we can pray for you at the end of service. I should have not brought it up, should I? That was wrong. I can't believe uh, I can't. I'm mad at myself for even doing that. Now, let's all pray. I told Donna, I said, the good news is that I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed, but the joy of the Lord is my strength, so who cares, the Steelers? What? We'll just root for the Pirates now that they got rid of their ace pitcher. But that's a whole other thing. Let's talk a different subject right now. <laughs> oh, that's pens, okay? There's hope there. We'll just stick with that, all right? We'll just leave it, leave it at that, all right? <laughs> Let me give you number four. Number four is this, the first affects the last. This is a foundational or a uh, structured thought life that we need to have. And you need to be structured in your thought life to recognize that the first affects the last. Your first step affects the second, the third, and the fourth. What you do first is so crucial. Jesus said these words. He, he, he of course, says that after he tells them that these thoughts, these worries, dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But God already knows what you need. And then he says, for that reason, seek first. Somebody say first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Seek first. You see, there's something significant about what you do first. Because the first sets the course for everything else. It's what you do first that matters the most. Just two chapters later in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is in a place with his disciples. He had healed many people that have gathered around him, and they were part of a great healing. Many people were healed. Many people were touched. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, go to the other side of the lake. He gives them a direction. He says, go to the other side of the lake. Now, we don't know it at this time, but if you read on, while they were on the lake, there was a storm that came up. And if you know your stories, if, you, if you're familiar with the Bible, that on that, that lake, as the storm came up, Jesus speaks to the storm, and Jesus says, storm, 
be still. He tells the wind to stop. And the disciples are like, whoa, not only does he heal people over in the villages, but he even speaks to the winds and the waves and they obey him. What kind of God or what kind of man is he that even the winds obey him? This is the place where Jesus is. This, he's in between the place where he heals many and he's about to calm the storm. He says to his disciples, he says, go to the other side of the lake. One of the, one of the teachers of the law speaks up to Jesus and the teacher of the law says to Jesus, he says, hey, teacher, Lord, he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Wherever you go, I'll follow you. How many have ever had that moment where you're all excited and you'll say, God, I'm all in. I'm going with you. I'm gonna go after you. I'm gonna follow you. And sometimes we can respond too quickly. Because Jesus says to this man, this teacher of the law, which by the way, the significance that it's a teacher of the law is the teacher of the law at that time, most of them were against Jesus. They did not like Jesus. They're the ones who would have said, who does he think he is that he can forgive sins? Jesus was not a friend of theirs. But this man who was a teacher of the law became a follower of Jesus, which means this. He was the guy that people would look at and say, well, if he can be saved, anybody can be saved. How many know somebody that in your life that you think, man, if they can, if they can be saved, God can save anybody. Don't look or point to anybody. You don't have to do that, but that's that person. If God can save Dewey Stewart, he can, I mean, if God could save, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if God could save, this is the, the, the man who is, who is uh, saying this to Jesus. He's the teacher of the law. Jesus, when he says, I'll follow you wherever you go, the teacher of the law, Jesus says, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. How many have ever heard that before? And Jesus is saying to this, this man, he's saying, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, that's fine, but I don't even have a place to lay my head. And here's what I've always thought. I've always thought this was a sense of Jesus being like Mother Teresa. I don't own anything. I don't have anything. I'm poor. And Jesus isn't condoning poverty. You know why? Because God is not a God of poverty. He's a God of more than enough. In fact, I pray that we would see the poverty, the curse of poverty break over Fayette County. That we would not be a impoverished county. That we would not take poverty as an identity, as who we are or what this is. But that we would be people who rise above poverty. Jesus wasn't condoning poverty. He wasn't saying, I don't have a place to lay my head. Woe is me. If you're going to follow me, you won't even have a house for yourself. What Jesus was saying is, if you want to follow me, be careful because don't get too comfortable here because I don't have a home. I keep moving from the next place to the next place to the next place. I'm not, he's not condoning poverty. He's, he's condoning mobility. He's saying, I'm going to keep moving to the next. And if you want to follow me, then you don't get comfortable in one place because I'm always making you ready for the next place. How many know tonight that God wants you to get ready for the next place? And you've got to have your mind in the right place to get ready for the next place. And then one of them speaks up and says to Jesus, Hey, you know, it's a good idea. I think it's good we ought to go to the other side. That's good. But first, somebody say, but first. First, let me go bury my father. Now, Jesus replied to this man who says, first, let me go bury my father. Jesus says this to him, let the dead bury their own dead. Follow me now. Now, you at first hear this, you think, Jesus, you're a little harsh. I mean, be nice to the man. Maybe his father's sick. Maybe he's at the end of his life. 
Jesus be nice. Jesus knew this man's father wasn't sick. This man's father wasn't in that condition. This man's father had already died. This was a done deal. This man is saying, let me bury him because I want to make sure I'm in the process because I want what, what is his to be mine. I want to make sure I get the inheritance. I want to make sure I get the land. I want to make sure I get what my dad had and I want it. I want the material things. Jesus, I'll follow you, but let me get this first. Jesus, I'll do that, but first, let me take care of this. I wonder how many things you've looked at with Jesus. And he said, Jesus, I know you're worthy of praise. I know you deserve everything, but let me first have this. Let me first attend to this. Let me first take this. I want you to know tonight that whatever your worry is, if it's, if it's health, if it's finances, if it's marriage, if it's relationship, whatever your worry is, whenever you allow that worry to come in, what you're saying is, God, I want to trust you, but right now, I've got to take control of this. And this thing that I'm worried about is now above you. I let me take care of this first. When I should have made you first, I'm going to do this first. Instead of seeking you first, I'm saying this needs to be first. And when we allow worry to dominate our mind, what we're saying to God is I'm settling for idol worship. I'm settling for idol worship that keeps me immobile, that keeps me not moving. You know, idling, staying still. That instead of moving in what he has for us, the fog is settled and we're stuck in a fog and we're worried and we're lost. We don't have vision. We're not doing what we need to do. And the reason is because we've not made the first thing the first thing and if you don't do first what matters the most it'll affect what comes after I hope that makes sense sometimes I hear myself talking in my head and I'm like that doesn't even make sense Jason you don't even know what you're talking about I hope that made sense to you you've got to make the first things first seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness 1 Corinthians 15 There's an order. I want you to hear tonight that I believe there's a resurrection power. Resurrection power. And I believe this, that God wants to bring dreams back to life. He wants to bring hope back to life. He wants to bring marriages back to life. He wants to bring resources back to life. God wants to bring these things back to life. Listen. But there is an order to this resurrection. How many know if there's an order, something has to happen first, right? If there's an order... If he's saying there's an order, then there's a first things first. You've got to put first these things in place. There's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised at the first of the harvest. Then all, Christ was raised at the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. This is Paul speaking that we believe in the resurrection of Christ. That we believe that because of Jesus Christ, we are going to rise from the dead to be with Christ. I've mourned my, my family members who have gone to be with Jesus. I've mourned friends who have died of all ages. I've mourned those. But those who have died in Christ, I've mourned with hope because I know they're going to rise again in the day of Jesus Christ. This is the hope that we have. Not only do we have this hope of resurrection at the last day, but Paul says if the hope that we have is only for this life, then we ought to be pitied. And notice what he says, if the hope that we have is only for this life, What's Paul saying? Paul's saying it's not only for this life, it's also for eternity. It's also for the hope that we have in Christ. He's not saying you only get one or the other. There is a hope that is for this life and there is a hope for that life. Which means the resurrection of the power of God that is able to raise me from the dead at the end of my life is also the resurrection power that's able to raise my marriage in this life. Able to raise my finances in this life. Able to raise my hope and my dreams and the things that God has put in my life that He can revive and restore. When you you put him first 
everything else falls into place when you put him first when you set him first in your life in your resources in your place the first affects the last do you know the only way to get rid of the fog is for the sun to rise how many know the sun is risen there's a sun that's risen and how many say today I've got to set my eyes upon Jesus when I let the sun rise all of a sudden the fog that's overwhelmed me the worries of this life and the things that overwhelm me they now become nothing because my eyes are fixed on the sun that is rising the sun that is brighter the sun that is greater the sun that is warm the sun that brings life the sun whose name is Jesus Christ so I say tonight God open my eyes let me see not the, the, the everyday worries and the fog of this life but let me see more of